The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On January 22nd, 1987, 47-year-old R. Bud Dwyer, Republican State Treasurer of Pennsylvania, held a press conference in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, to address his recent conviction on 11 counts of conspiracy, mail fraud, perjury, and interstate transportation in the aid of racketeering. The married father of two faced up to 55 years in prison and a $300,000 fine. He was scheduled to be sentenced the very next day, January 23rd, by a judge who he knew intended to make an example of him to deter other politicians from taking bribes in the future. It was expected by everyone in attendance, an audience comprised mainly of the top journalists in the state, that Bud Dwyer was going to resign from his elected position after years of accusations, a highly publicized trial, and a nasty fall from grace. No one expected what actually happened. In a long, rambling speech, Dwyer criticized the American justice system, the reporters in the room who he felt had unfairly tainted the public's perception of him during the events leading up to, during, after the trial. And he accused other Pennsylvania politicians of being the ones who were truly corrupt. He thanked his family for their support and thanked God for a good life. And then on live television, he took a manila envelope out of his briefcase and pulled out of that envelope a fully loaded Smith & Wesson Model 27 357 Magnum revolver. The reporters present gasped, screamed, and backed away from Bud. Voices rang out, pleading with him not to do whatever he was planning to do. Only Dwyer himself remained eerily calm. He quickly told his terrified and riveted audience, please, please leave this room if this will, if this will affect you. Moments later, Dwyer pointed the gun at himself, quickly placed the barrel into his mouth, and immediately pulled the trigger, firing a bullet up into and out of his skull, killing him instantly. Dwyer's body slumped against the wall and slid down to the floor, blood flowing out of the exit wound, his nostrils and his mouth, and the cameras that were present continued to roll and captured it all. A number of television, television stations throughout Pennsylvania broadcast the tape footage of Dwyer's suicide to their midday audiences. 
Philadelphia station, WPVI showed Dwyer pulling the trigger and falling backwards before cutting. Over the next several hours, other news editors had to decide how much of the graphic footage to air to their audiences. Many stations, including WCAU and Pennsylvania's Group W stations KYW and KDKA, froze the action just prior to the gunshot. However, the latter two allowed the audio of the shooting to continue under a frozen image of Dwyer with the gun in his mouth. A handful of stations actually aired the unedited press conference. WPVI in Philadelphia rebroadcast the suicide footage in full during their 5 p.m. and 6 p.m. news slots. Action News broadcast the entire suicide and did so without a warning to viewers. WPXI in Pittsburgh broadcast the footage uncensored during an early newscast, then chose not to re-air the footage during the evening news slot, explaining that by then, kids were, uh, were probably home from school. Unfortunately, by that evening... Thousands of Pennsylvania's kids had already seen Bud pull the trigger because a severe winter storm had closed schools across the state that day. Seems pretty straightforward at first, doesn't it? A crooked politician gets caught stealing from John Q. Public, doesn't want to face the music, and when he gets caught, he takes, in a sense, the easy way out. He takes what some people refer to as a cowardly way out. Well, it's not that simple, not even close. It's tragic and unexpected. And while certainly uh, I am not a fan of suicide, I will say that once I reached the end of this tale, I had a hard time not at least being open to the possibility that Bud Dwyer's suicide was was not only far from a cowardly act, but perhaps an incredibly heroic and selfless act. Find out why I reached that conclusion and see if you reach it as well today on Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. <laughs> Happy Monday, Time Suckers. Hail Nimrod, Lucifina, Bojangles, Triple M, Pootie and Juju, and maybe even Chicken Joe. Bok bok, playboy. Bok bok. Probably shouldn't hail Chikatilo. Uh, definitely not. I'm Dan Cummins, a.k.a. Nimrod's Meat Sack Puppet, and you are listening to Time Suck. Welcome back to the Cult of the Curious. Uh, recording in the Coeur d'Alene Suck Dungeon in Idaho today. Loving the weather. This week, the heat's cooled off. Still sunny. Smoke is gone. So you can actually see the sun. Uh, Reverend Dr. Joe motherfucking Paisley working the soundboard. Queen of the suck, Lindsay, doing stuff at home, working out of the working out at home, taking care of the kids. Monroe hasn't started school quite yet. Rapidly firing out emails like the Polish banshee she is. Uh, today's time suck is brought to you by the increasingly popular and fantastic podcast, and that's why we drink. Have you ever found yourself wondering when true crime and the paranormal are finally going to meet? If not, well, this is awkward. You should have. You should have been wondering about that. And if so, it's about time you start listening to. And that's why we drink. Join host M Team Milkshake and Christine Team Wine every week to discuss ghosts, murder, and everything else that makes them drink. Just make sure to lock your doors first. Uh, I wonder if I can join and be Team Whiskey, uh, Team Rye Whiskey. Lindsay could be Team Vodka, and uh, Joe Paisley could be Team uh, Zima, Team Wine Cooler. <laughs> Cheap shot. Unfair. He's not here to defend himself. But back to, and that's why we drink. Featured in BuzzFeed's list of top 25 podcasts to listen to in 2018. And that's why we drink has covered topics ranging from John Wayne Gacy to the Amityville haunting, just like we have here on Time Suck. Get another take on these stories. Get another take on uh, stories you haven't heard. A new take. Unsolved disappearances, black-eyed kids, so much more. New episodes released every Sunday, along with monthly listener episodes that feature your personal paranormal and true crime stories. Listen on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. The world's a scary place, and that's why we drink. Link to this podcast in today's episode 
description. Okay, now for some uh, Time Suck app and website update news. I'm excited for this. Nimrod has been good to me. There should be a new app update for both Apple and Android and a new Time Suck website upgrade that fixes a number of bugs, adds variable speed playback to episodes, half speed, normal speed, one and a half speed, double speed. Episode progress now syncing across devices and between the website and the apps. That should be out now. Uh, The Contact Me Mofo feature is cleaner and easier to use. The character bios scroll more effectively. Uh, Thanks to Space Lizard Patreon supporters, we're upgrading to a dedicated server this week. The most comprehensive package offered by GoDaddy. It's going to increase app and website speed responsiveness. Uh, we're, We're tweaking font size and color to make it easier to read. We're adding a fact page. That should be out right now. Uh, with questions like, you know, I ordered the wrong product. What do I do? Having trouble accessing Space Lizard features after signing up on Patreon. Please help. How do I retrieve my password? How do I vote on topics, etc.? cetera? Uh, also, the app now sends crash info back to Bitelixer immediately so they can fix bugs faster. Get out here, bugs. Go on, bugs. Get. Go on, go on get. Be gone, Lucifina and your bugs. Um, yeah, very excited that initially the fact page uh, will just have text answers. We are going to add videos just as soon as we have the production time to get some fun. Uh, these are answering your question videos. Who, what other podcast does that? Fucking nobody. Excited for it. Uh, hope you love the improvements. More are coming. Hail Nimrod. Uh, once we deem this new version a, uh, a success, an in-app, in-website, Reddit-style message board chat room is going to be added. Uh, it's looking very cool. I've seen some of the beta tests of that already. Uh, I just want to beta test that further, make sure this other stuff is working before we add in yet another thing, and adding a Patreon linking system that will be much more intuitive and easier to use than the current one we have. Thanks to all the spacers who have signed up despite it being a little bit of a hassle to get uh, people figure it out. But, but you know, it's a little clunky. We're, we're streamlining that over the next month. So many things coming. Thanks to all the spacers for making these and future upgrades possible. Donating even more to charity this next month. Very excited. Uh, looks like we're going to be throwing about 750 bucks to a charity in um, in September. So I'm excited. Headed to the Silicon Valley this week. Uh, weekend, Sunnyvale, California. Right down the street from Cupertino for you Apple nerds. I'll be at Rooster Teeth Feathers. Little wonderful Mon Pa Intimate Comedy Club room, September 6th through the 9th. Then Hollywood. Uh, September 12th, Melrose Improv. One of the most historic clubs in the country. I always have a good time there. And uh, maybe the president of showbiz will show up. Maybe the CEO of entertainment will be there. You never know. Uh, on to Oxnard and Levity Live, September 13th to the 15th. Then after a sweet week off, uh, to road trip down to Riggins, Idaho for some family time. I'm back in the Northwest doing stand-up shows at Helium Comedy Club where I recorded my album, Hear This, and re- where I recorded Maybe I'm the Problem and Feel the Heat. I love that room. September 27th to 29th, sticking around Helium for a live podcast on September 30th, talking about the Matamoros cult killings of the late 80s. Right across the border from Brownsville, Texas, a Santeria, Palo Mayambe, dark priest, voodoo shit, dude from Miami, Adolfo Costanzo, uh, incorporated elements of Aztec warrior sacrifice into his little drug trafficking death cult, sacrificing human beings so that the devil would help protect him and his cohorts from the authorities. It's insanity. And I already told that story in Denver, and it was so much fun, and I look forward to tweaking it and retelling it uh, in, in Portland, Tacoma, other places comes up. You can only hear this topic live. Um, uh, go to dancummins.tv for more tour dates at Dan Cummins Comedy for, for info, uh, further info. Maybe I'm the problem. The vinyl is dropping soon. September 5th. So many things. September 15th, noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern on Romanus Records. Hot damn, that custom wax is looking good. Uh, link to Romanus Records in the episode description. Picks uh, these albums at Dan Cummins Comedy on Instagram. 
uh, and Twitter and Facebook. Space Lizards can get the record right now. Ex- exclusive Space Lizard pre-order link in the past uh, uh, episode description of The Secret Suck. Labor Day sale is over thanks to everybody who bought that stuff. Uh, and if you have any merch-related questions, hit up – don't hit us up. Hit up, hit up Kate at accessapparelco.com. I'll have that link in the episode description, Kate at accessapparelco.com. When you hit us up at Bojangles, we then just pass along the info when we get it to Kate. Sometimes there's a delay, obviously. You know, there's only a few of us. And, uh, and it just slows down response time. So so send it right to them. They're the ones who handle all the merch stuff. They know that we our instructions are to take care of you guys uh, to the best uh, of our ability, get you a replacement if something was wrong, get you extra stuff if, if it was a big pain in the ass you just went through. We, uh, we, we do our best there. Kate's email going to be in that new fact page. Okay, enough business. Enough business. Let's dig into today's tale. The very public suicide of Bud Dwyer and the events that led up to this tragic decision. Interlude. Just long enough for me to take a sip of espresso mocha. Uh, Bud Dwyer's suicide. Suicide I've actually watched footage of happen. So surreal. I think I saw it for the first time as a kid uh, when I was maybe, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old. I, I'd gotten a hold of an early VHS-based form of uh, viral video, one of the viral video precursors. It was, uh, it was one of these faces of death videos. These were big when I was like junior high. I rented it from some no longer existent video store on Main Street of uh, Grangeville, Idaho. The closest video store was like an hour from where I lived as a kid. And it, and it would it was a video store that most people, if, if they were to go in, were like, what the fuck? How does this place even stay open? But to me, I was like, oh, I'm in, this is almost Hollywood. Uh, they have so many, they have more than 10 videos. I've never, in one building? Well, these faces of death videos, I think there were about four of them in total, uh, were compilations of death scenes, supposedly real footage of people getting killed by animals, shot, hit by cars, planes, blunt objects, shot, you know, with, uh, uh, for, 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 you know, fucking arrows, whatever. Exactly the kind of thing a young teen boy wants to watch and probably should not watch. Uh, they were filmed uh, suicides in some of these grainy compilations of, of violent porn, essentially. And uh, not porn sexually, but just like 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 por- the porn equivalent of violence. And, uh, and one was R. Bud Dwyer's suicide. Uh, there is an original, unedited, uh, a minute and 20 second worth of footage on YouTube and other sites like liveleak.com. Very disturbing to watch. Holy shit. Uh, this this 80-second video shows this 47-year-old politician who honestly looks 57, uh, you know, holding court, having a press conference. Looks like a gentle grandpa. And then he asked somebody uh, in the beginning of this video named Greg to approach him. Then he asked a man named Don Johnson to approach him. Uh, he hands each of them a sealed envelope. Then he hands Greg two additional papers saying one is for his wife, Joanne. And then he, uh, and then he takes that gun out. Uh, pandemonium breaks out after saying, please, 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 you know, leave the room with this will, this will affect you. Uh, he mostly just says, don't, 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 as people are, I guess, you know, kind of approaching him. He's, he's holding out his hand. that's not holding the gun, uh, indicating he does not want anyone to come close to him. He says, listen, this will hurt someone. And then 16 seconds after initially revealing the gun, he quickly shoots himself and you hear somebody immediately scream. Somebody yells, holy shit. Uh, you can hear a woman begin to wail and sob almost immediately. Uh, a, a man can be heard demanding, all right, settle down, and then don't panic, please. And then someone call an ambulance and a doctor and the police. Uh, this is said with no urgency. This last thing, I mean, it's painfully clear that he's he's already dead. And, I, and you think, like, why would Bud do this? What would drive someone to do this? The easiest and somewhat obvious answer is that, uh, you know, he, he was a day away from being sentenced to what would 
likely be a prison term long enough to ensure he'd probably die in prison. But but the truth is more complicated. Uh, this this turns out to be a very very interesting story. Uh, let's let's start with this story like we often do at the beginning with today's time suck timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. All right, Robert Bud Dwyer, born on November 21st, 1939, in St. Charles, Missouri, to middle-class parents Robert Malcolm Dwyer and Alice Mary Bud Dwyer. He was good uh, academically. He's a good student. Accounting was one of his favorite subjects, and he, and he wanted to pursue a career in accounting as a kid, you know, once he, once he grew up. His family lived on a small farm, and uh, a few years after, after he arrived in the world, his, his younger sister was born, Deanna Grundle Dwyer. Uh, similar to how Robert would later be known by his middle name, uh, sometimes adding the first letter of his first name in, in front of it, Deanna would be known as, as uh, it was D. Grundle Dwyer or just Grundle Dwyer. Um, you know, D. Grundle Dwyer being the more formal version, uh, less formally, you know, Deanna. Uh, the, the least formal version of her name was Dirty Dr- uh, Dwyer Grundle Dryer. It was Dirty Dwyer Grundle Dryer. It's hard to say. Uh, and that's... <laughs> Dirty Dwyer Grundle Dryer. That's not true. I have no idea what Bud's sister's name is. No one in the documentary books I read felt it worth mentioning. Grundle, by the way, refers to the area uh, between your penis or vagina and your anus. Your uh, perineum, your taint, your gooch, your chode, your banus, your fleshy fun bridge. Now you know. More knowledge, you guys. Uh, Bud's father worked a day job so his family did not have to struggle the way uh, the families of other farmers did. And by all accounts, the Dwyers were a close, well-adjusted family who probably never, uh, ever said the word Grundle. In 1957, Bud graduated from high school, attended Allegheny College in Meadville, Pennsylvania. It's 40 miles south of Erie, 90 miles north of Pittsburgh. Little college town, less than 15,000 people. In addition to studying accounting, Bud also studied political science, getting a bachelor's degree in political science. He was a member of Beta Chi, the Beta Chi chapter of Theta Chi. Uh, I was so close to pronouncing uh, those as Beta Chi and Theta Chi, by the way. I could only imagine what kind of emails would have poured in. After getting his bachelor's, uh, he stuck around to get his master's degree in education, got a job teaching at Cambridge Springs High School in Crawford County, Pennsylvania, just outside of Meadville. Uh, Bud taught a class called Problems with Democracy. Uh, kind of ironic considering the massive problems he would encounter with his own democracy later, events that would send him spiraling towards his death. Uh, while teaching at Cambridge Springs High School in 1962, Bud met his future wife, an English teacher named Joanne Grundle. Uh, no, uh, Joanne Grappy. Grappy, not much better than Grundle, though, to be fair. Uh, The two quickly fell in love. In the spring of 1963, Bud received his master's degree, and in the summer of 1963, he was selected for an educational exchange program that took him to Poland. Uh, Bud was shocked at life in Poland. Uh, He couldn't believe that God would, A, create Polish people in the first place, and then, B, allow Polish people to continue to live after seeing what vile, subhuman, filthy, Godless monsters, they really are. Uh, he spent much of his time in Poland weeping and wailing and thrashing and just being furious with God for allowing any of this to happen. Um, sorry, that's that's clearly that's clearly not true. No, but he really he really was sent to Poland. Uh, he he really was shocked at life in Poland. He was shocked by communism. He hated it. Poland had become a communist nation following Russia's invasion of Poland at the end of World War II when they pushed the German Nazis out, only to become uh, just a different oppressor. Uh, Bud could not believe the way the Polish government treated their own people. The rampant governmental corruption disgusted him. 
When Bud returned to the United States in the fall of 1963, he and Joanne were immediately married, despite knowing each other for less than a year. And then after the wedding, Bud, you know, quickly told Joanne that his time in Poland had inspired him to get involved with U.S. politics. He wanted to do what he could do uh, to help ensure that America would never become what he saw overseas. The 24-year-old decided to run uh, as a Republican on the Republican ticket for a state government seat on uh, Pennsylvania's House of Representatives in 1964. Now, even though Bud refused to solicit campaign donations himself, uh, refused to look uh, even look at you know the list of contributions, um, he did get some fundraising. He left fundraising to his former teaching mentor and current campaign manager at the time. He talked a lot about Poland on his during his campaign. What he felt was wrong with Poland, you know, uh, even had a slideshow he presented to show what life was like over there and how terrible the average lives of Polish citizens were and how we can't let this happen and that kind of stuff. You know, he's very anti big red. Uh, former friends think this presentation actually won him that first election, uh, and he won even though he ran against an incumbent. Uh, he won that first election, and, and then now he had to work in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Harrisburg, capital of Pennsylvania, uh, only about 50,000 people in it. The metro area has over 500,000, but still very, very small state capital. Just outside of Harrisburg sits Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, just outside of Hershey uh, sits the small town of Squirts. So there's Hershey, Squirts. And that was the lamest dad joke. I just threw that in there. I just, I just thought of it, and I was like, don't say it. Don't say it. And then I said it, and I'm going to keep it. We're not editing that out. Uh, <laughs> I took the kids to Hershey once when they were little. I recommended a, uh, or I recommend a tour of the plant if you have uh, chocolate lovers in the family. Uh, the Three Mile Island nuclear incident uh, occurred near Harrisburg in 1979. Uh, Forbes rated Harrisburg as the second, place, uh, second best place in the U.S. to raise a family in 2010. So I guess the nuclear incident didn't, couldn't have been that bad, didn't contaminate things too much. Uh, and so Bud's now going to be working there. He took his first political office in Harrisburg on January 5th, 1965. And it's a five-hour drive from uh, Harrisburg to Meadville. And rather than move his family and his now pregnant wife away from her parents, you know, uh, Bud would make the drive from Harrisburg to, to – to, or from Meadville to Harrisburg and then back uh, each week. Like he would live in Harrisburg during the week and then on the weekend he would drive home five hours each way. Uh, yeah, and he also wanted to return to Meadville on a regular basis so he could properly kind of, you know, monitor and serve the constituents of the, of the district that voted him in. And, man, he would, he would make that weekly trek back and forth for 16 years. Think about that commute. 16 years uh, of doing a five-hour fucking drive. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, he served in the state uh, House of Representatives until 1971, and then he served in the uh, state Senate for a full decade. Raising a family, making that drive. My God, I thought my travel schedule was rough. That dude was on the road almost every week, five days a week for over 15 years. So there's that. So he's awake from home a lot, starting just a year and a half into his marriage. And, and, then he, and he was doing this before there was podcasts. Think about that drive too. Think about the, the five, a five-hour drive before podcasts, no satellite radio, no Pandora, no Spotify, no books on tape, no cell phones. Man, I hope those uh, 1960s and 70s DJs kept him entertained. I, I can only imagine how sick you would get of certain songs. No, that's not the way. Uh-huh, uh-huh, I like it. Fuck KC and the Sunshine Band. Fuck them to hell. You know, cut to Bud just quickly shutting off his radio, just furious. And then after a, a minute of just utter boredom, just slowly raising the volume up again. That's the way, uh-huh, uh-huh, I like it, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's the way, uh-huh, uh-huh, I like it, uh-huh, uh-huh. Dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Just fucking over and over, week after week. Uh, 
At the beginning of this ongoing 16-year cross-state commute, Bud's son Rob was born in the Meadville area, 1965. Three years later, Bud's daughter, uh, Diane Dee is born in 1968. Uh, Dee Grundle. I cannot get that word out of my head. Uh, Ms. Grundle, party of one. Your table's ready. And it's clean. Please, please keep it that way, you filthy animal. And then in 1980, Bud runs for state treasurer, largely because this position does not require him to keep in touch with voters in the Meadville area. And then now, if he gets it, he can move his entire family to Harrisburg, where he's been working, and they can all live there together. Still can't believe he made that commute for, for fucking 16 years. My God. Uh, there was a scene in the documentary where his daughter, Dee Dee, actually talked about him. What a good dad move this was. Talked about him driving over again one week. You know, he'd already done the weekend thing, and he'd be doing it the next weekend thing. And then he drove over midweek on a Wednesday when she was in grade school to watch her perform a small part in some grade school play. And then he drove home after the show that night, 10 hours that day, in addition to the normal 20 hours of commuting that week. That's the way, uh-huh, uh-huh, I like it, uh-huh, mm-hmm. uh Similar to previous elections, Bud relies on a grassroots knocking-on-doors approach to his campaign. He, he spent uh, only $50,000 on his entire campaign, far less than his opponents. He spent almost nothing on television or radio ads. His campaign manager said he focused primarily on county fairs where he would introduce himself to hundreds, if not thousands, of potential voters a day, shaking hands until his own his own hands w- would literally be swollen from all of the handshaking. And he did this because, uh, as, as many people said on a great Bud Dwyer documentary called Honest Man, The Life of R. Bud Dwyer, uh, you can watch on Amazon Prime for free if you remember. They would say, once you met Bud Dwyer, you'd vote for him. He did appear to be very likable, very charismatic. In November of 1980, he won his election, and then the family moved to Harrisburg, commute over. And life would be great in Harrisburg for a couple of years. And then Bud would find himself in the middle of a political shitstorm. Uh, when Dwyer took over the Treasury, he wanted to improve things, immediately wanted to modernize it. The operating system was was very outdated. And uh, and he computerized the department, which was a, a great move starting off. He also kept uh, some of the staff from the previous treasurer, uh, let them keep their jobs most notably uh, Vince Yakovich, a Democrat who sounds like he may be a Polak savage. And they became lifelong friends as much as a human and a Polak can be friends. This was not, <laughs> this is not new. If you're a new listener, my wife is Polish. That's why this is happening. And I, who I love, who I love to tease. This was not normal. Most new officials cleaning house, you know, would clean house when they came in, uh, especially if the previous staff members were not in the same party. He didn't care. He was able to work across party lines uh, on a regular basis. Love hearing that. Why can't more people do that? Uh, Dwyer took up a cause, which he called the waistline uh, early in his tenure in, in, in the office there. Dwyer's administration established a toll-free waistline for citizens to report abuse, misuse, or fraud involving state funds or to make money-saving suggestions. The Waistline received nearly 4,000 calls, resulted in the savings of millions of tax dollars and several arrests. Again, the irony here, the guy who sets up the call line for citizens to report abuse and misuse of, uh, of state funds ends up being caught in a scandal involving taking funds. Uh, yeah, taking a bribe, it's crazy. Okay, and then in 1984, Bud, just by doing his duty as treasurer, he falls into a highly publicized fight with state governor, Richard Dick Thornburg, old Dickie T, old Dick Grundle, Dickie Grundle. Uh, Governor Dick was also a Republican who'd won the governor's job in 1979, uh, defeating Republican incumbent Milton Shop with a campaign largely built on fighting government corruption. A lot of corruption in Pennsylvania government in the, uh, in the 70s and 80s. 
I don't know how things are there today, but my, my God, the story was just loaded with it. Shop's term was plagued with corruption. More than 60 people from his administration have been indicted on various criminal charges during his tenure. Uh, while Shop himself was never indicted on anything, his administration was jokingly referred to as the Crook of the Month Club. Uh, even four of his cabinet members were convicted of crimes while he was in office, including fraud, lying under oath, and extortion. Uh, well, in 1984, Governor Dick, I am not a crook, Thornburg. Got to do a Nixon suck someday, by the way. Dick took a business trip to Germany to convince a West German bus manufacturer to open a plant in Harrisburg, which they later did. And he took his wife, Ginny, which was fine and totally within his legal rights to do so. But the governor submitted his wife's $1,680 airline ticket for reimbursement from the state treasurer's office, which was not kosher. She didn't have to be there. You know, this is a business trip. If she wants to come, she can pay her own way. The taxpayer not required to pay her way. So when this bill comes across Bud Dwyer's desk, he refuses to sign it. And here, the first seed of Bud's later demise is sown. The press catch wind of Bud's refusal, uh, makes the papers. Uh, we all know far too well right now how much the press loves to run stories regarding political turmoil and conflict. Can't get enough of that shit. Feels like 90% of uh, my news feed is that. Um, Democrats accuse Thornburg and his wife and some other Republican aides who went along for the trip of basically just taking a big old vacation on the taxpayer's dime. And just, you know, you know, you, you go to Germany, you see the sights, you have lunch with the fucking bus people one day, and then you write it all off. Which uh, in the private world, I will say, does happen all the time. And uh, as a small business person, you love it. I do it too. <laughs> Suck it, IRS. No, but anyway. Democrats, uh, they accuse them of this, and uh, the governor then publicly accuses Dwyer of taking a cheap shot at him, saying that he wasn't trying to do anything shady. He, he just was, it was uh, protocol to submit trip costs to the treasurer's office so that they could then decide what he was responsible for, what he was not responsible for, what the state should cover, what they shouldn't cover. You know, he's just following standard operating procedure, and then Bud Dwyer goes out of his way to make him look like an asshole. Uh, Dwyer claimed that he did not go out of his way to malign anyone. A reporter asked him about the trip. He told the truth, and that's all there was to it. And then they spun it how they spun it. What was he supposed to do, lie to the reporter? You know, look like a fool, uh, risk look like he, look, uh, looking like he was part of some kind of government theft or, or uh, you know, in, in front of the people, the constituents who voted him into office. So he's just doing his job. And then Bud quickly finds himself uh, having to distance himself from the governor's office again shortly after this incident. Uh, a reporter asked Dwyer, to uh, uh, report alerts Dwyer, excuse me, to the fact that Governor Thornburg's sons have been uh, being transported back and forth between Massachusetts and Pennsylvania, where they're attending private school, and they've been driven back and forth by state troopers, clearly also on the state's dime. Dime, excuse me. Uh, when the reporter then asked Dwyer to see financial records regarding school transport, Dwyer defers him to state police, who then release the records. The police complain that the governor is using them as chauffeurs, as taxi drivers. Dwyer's people decide to take a closer look at these records uh, once they're released to the press, and they decide that Governor Thornburg is again abusing his power and that he should pay for this transportation, not the police. And then due to media inquiry, a press conference is held. Bud Dwyer reveals exactly how much his office thinks that the governor should have to pay for all the time as the police took the governor's kids to and from private school, and they say that he owes the state $6,700 uh, roughly. And, and this does not, as you might imagine, make the governor super-duper happy. This makes the first-term governor, the man who ran on an anti-corruption campaign, look, you know, corrupt and like a huge hypocritical asshat. Uh, also, if I was someone who had voted for Governor uh, Dickie Grundle, I would be pissed 
that the governor of Pennsylvania is sending his kids out of state to go to school. Like, what the fuck? Like, isn't it, isn't it basically your main job to make sure that this is a state that people want to live in and want to, like, raise their kids in and, and have their kids go to school in? Right? I mean, doesn't that seem very strange? I mean, can you imagine if, like, a, if, if any president of the United States sent his kids to a foreign country to study? Yes, my children are attending school in London. What am I going to I'm not going to have them go to school in America in this fucking shithole. <laughs> Get out of here. Then why, then why don't you do your job and fix them? Fix the schools, Mr. President. Why don't you start asking easier questions before I have your press badge revoked, Mr. Soon-to-be writing for a high school yearbook? But seriously, that, that is kind of crazy to me that he would do that. Uh, well, people who work with Dwyer said it wasn't like Dwyer went after the government maliciously uh, in this incident or the previous one. The police complained to the press. The press asked the treasurer's office what the hell they were going to do about the government's misuse of funds, and Dwyer felt like his hands were tied. He felt like, again, like he didn't want to look like he was part of some kind of governmental corruption. You know, this is also his first term. He would like to get reelected. You know, the press are going to accuse him of covering things up uh, for the governor, of being in bed with the governor if he doesn't do this. But Governor Thornburg does not see the situation that way. He thinks that Dwyer is out to get him, uh, that Dwyer has some kind of vendetta against him. And if Thornburg didn't hate Bud Dwyer after the airline ticket incident, which they would call Ginny Gate, which I think is hilarious, he for sure hates him now. Uh, the press is now running, running you know, tales of Dwyer being in the gubernatorial doghouse and about how if uh, Dwyer was a member of Dick's cabinet uh, and didn't have an elected position, he would for sure be fired. Those who worked with the governor would later say that Thornburg thought Dwyer was a country bumpkin and that he did start to crave revenge big time for these perceived slights against him. Supposedly, uh, according to at least one source in the documentary I watched, he said, I'm going to get that fat son of a bitch if it's the last thing I do. And now the press is running stories in local papers about the obvious tension and discord between Dick Thornburg and Bud Dwyer. Why couldn't they work it out? Why? Maybe they're just tired. Maybe if they would have just taken a night to snuggle up, play a game of Bud's the Big Spoon and Dickie T is the Little Spoon, maybe if they'd have gotten a solid night's rest on a Lisa mattress, everything would have worked out. Maybe. Just maybe Bud's few next years uh, or next few years would have turned out very differently. Who knows? Yes, today's Time Suck is brought to you by Lisa. Lisa is having a big Labor Day sale where you can get up to $235 off your Lisa mattress. This is the best deal I've seen. $235 off your Lisa mattress. You go to lisa.com slash time suck. Sleep is important. Your previous night's uh, rest, you know, affects your mood for the whole next day. I know. One of my nicknames at home is Moody Judy. And, and Moody Judy is cranky pants as fuck when I don't get the proper sleep I need. Old Judy's a real pill. And my sleep is never better than when I snuggled up on, uh, on my Lisa mattress. Especially when I convince uh, fur babies, Penny Pooper and Ginger, why is she farting so much lately? Like so much. She eats the same food. Why? Uh, to get off the bed so I can lay down properly. Lisa mattress is a product of more than 30 years of experience in mattress engineering. Hundreds of hours of testing. It's comprised of three foam layers that provide cooling, pressure relief, uh, body contouring, support, telekinetic abilities, time travel, astral projection. I made up those last few, but for real, the other stuff is, is legit. Very, very comfortable. Over 300,000 happy Lisa sleepers agree that Lisa mattresses give them the rest they need. So order your Lisa mattress online at lisa.com slash timesuck. Try it risk-free for 100 nights, or I will hide out your house, and I will fucking yell at you in the middle of the night. Until you do it. I'm, I'm trying to help you, says the creepy guy in the bushes. I won't do that. This thing ships direct to your door in a convenient box, clearly packed by wizards and or sorcerers. It ships for free, uh, free shipping, free returns. 
Find the right mattress for you at lisa.com slash time suck. Don't miss Lisa's limited time Labor Day sale where you can get up to $235 off your Lisa mattress when you go to lisa.com slash time suck. That's lisa, L-E-E-S-A dot com slash time suck. And that'll be in the uh, episode description as well, the link. And now back to Dwyer's public battle with Dickie V. Um, these incidents... Dickie V, Dickie T. You know what I just did there? Uh, that was a weird thing. Uh, Dick Vitale. I'm so used to like Dickie being followed by a V. T sounds like V. I swapped him. Now we're talking about Dickie T. We're talking about Governor Grundle. Talking about Governor Thornburg. I've got so many names for him. You're probably like, who the fuck is this guy? Uh, these incidents weigh on Bud's uh, uh, mind enough for him to, to mention all of, all of these incidents with the governor at the final press conference before he pulls the trigger. Uh, one of the things he said, he said, in, the, in February of 1984, another significant event occurred in my life. In conformity with Pennsylvania law, I refused to pay the travel voucher for Mrs. Dick Thornburg's trip to Europe, and Governor Thornburg told Bob Asher and others that he would get Dwyer. Thanks to you, the media, Governor Thornburg has a very positive image, but his staff, but if his staff had ever let you get close to him, you would have found a short temper and a vicious, vindictive personality. Governor Thornburg's resolve to get me increased when Ginny Gate was followed by Chauffeur Gate. That's the, obviously the uh, the police escort thing, the police taking his kids to school. In March, April, and May of 1984, which was properly brought to my attention by reporter Wally Roche of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Then our recent governor began referring to me as the fat fuck, which can be attested to by several people. That is when you really know that someone doesn't care for you, when they begin to refer to you as the fat fuck. Uh, you know that, that someone really doesn't like you when they start openly calling you the fat fuck to your face, even in the presence of others. Uh, yeah, Roger, uh, c- can you send in the fat fuck so we can talk about the budget? Uh, certainly, Governor. Hello, Governor Thornburg. Uh, have a seat, you fat fuck. God, I really wish you'd call me Bud. Or at least Mr. Dwyer, uh, Governor Thornburg, if you, if you could. Uh, of course you'd say that, you fat fuck. That's such a fat fuck thing to say. Wouldn't you agree, Roger? What a fat fuck thing to say. Uh, also, have you been getting fatter, you fat fuck? I hate you so much. That's that's when you know for sure someone hates you when they talk to you like that. Uh, then later, 1984, real trouble starts brewing for, for Bud Fat Fuck Dwyer. Dickie Grundle will soon be the least of his problems. Uh, Dwyer runs for re-election in 1984. He's up against a Democrat named Al Benedict, and the campaign gets ugly. Almost immediately, there's a smear campaign against Dwyer, alleging that he's taken bribes. Benedict, who is the Auditor General, alleges that Dwyer took a kickback from Computer Technology Associates Incorporated, CTA. Uh, While the allegations are serious, Dwyer denies everything and takes it all pretty lightly initially. Also, uh, this allegation just doesn't appear credible as three members of Benedict's staff are then indicted for selling state jobs. Michael Hanna, uh, Nick Sattis, John Kerr. Dwyer wins the election, but the allegations, uh, despite the, uh, you know, uh, convictions or or, or the people being indicted, uh, on the guy's staff who's making the, the allegations, uh, despite all that happening, the, the the allegations against Bud do not go away. I mean, there's just so many allegations. It is crazy in this story. There's so much like rampant political corruption in Pennsylvania at this time. Um, let's talk about the CTA scandal. This is this is huge. This is the big scandal that, that led to to Bud doing what he did at the press conference. Pennsylvania officials discovered that some of its state workers had overpaid millions of dollars in federal insurance contributions act money. Uh, or taxes, I guess. That's FICA. FICA taxes due to errors in state withholding. Several top accounting firms across the country competed for the multi-million dollar contract to determine the compensation to be paid to each employee. 
So again, just uh, you know, the they were they were being taxed on this FICA tax a, a few years before it actually became official in Pennsylvania. They don't catch it for some reason for like two years, and they're like, "Oh shit, we've, we've the federal government has taken millions in tax dollars they weren't supposed to." Now Pennsylvania is hiring you know some firm to find out exactly who paid what, you know, uh, when they shouldn't, so they can find out how much to be reimbursed. And Dwyer's put in charge of choosing a firm to handle all this, this repayment of overcollected taxes. Uh, even though I guess that job would typically fall to the governor, but for whatever reason, he's put in charge. The contract uh, is eventually then awarded to the California-based firm Computer Technology Associates, owned by a native of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Months after the contract is awarded, Pennsylvania Governor Dick Thornburg receives an anonymous memo detailing allegations of bribery that took place during the bidding process for the contract. And this uh, anonymous source names R. Bud Dwyer as one of the people receiving a kickback in the deal. And you know that Dickie T got a massive revenge boner when that memo hit his desk. When he read that name, his ween probably almost exploded. Just, ha! Oh! Payback time, you fat fuck! This will teach you for not looking the other way. When I brought my wife to Germany, when I sent my kids to school in Massachusetts, <laughs> he probably went full Mr. Burns when he got that memo. Just, yes, Smithers, this is excellent news. I shall crush the fat fuck. I shall squeeze him until there's nothing left. And then I shall take another trip to Deutschland with Ginny. First class on the public dime to celebrate. Yes, Smithers. Excellent. Uh, more about this contract. The contract calls for the company to recover up to $40 million in social uh, security taxes that had been improperly paid by Pennsylvania school districts and 200,000 school employees from 1979 to 81. And again, the taxes uh, mistakenly paid. They were mistakenly paid when employees were on sick leave, although federal law did not require such payments until 1982. Treasury officials said that CTA would receive $4.8 million for compiling and filing all the necessary data on behalf of all the employees to recover the money from the federal government. So they're getting paid almost $5 million to recover this $40 million. Uh, Mr. Dwyer said the company, which at the time, uh, at the contract, or which at the time the contract was awarded, had only three full-time employees, was chosen over larger firms because it promised a prompt refund of the overpaid taxes. And then this CTA contract was rescinded July 11th, shortly after Mr. Dwyer said he learned that the Federal Bureau of Investigation was looking into allegations that CTA had paid other public officials uh, in, in the city of Pittsburgh and Allegheny County to obtain similar contracts. So important to note this, uh, important to note that before Dickie T revealed allegations of corruption against Bud, Bud had already canned this contract. Now, now who is CTA? CTA is a bunch of dirty birds. That's who. This is, adds to the story. One dirty bird in particular. This is a bullshit company. Uh, it's one dirty bird with a long history regarding corruption in Pennsylvania. CTA, Computer Technology Associates, is a firm based out of California, owned and operated by one John Torquato Jr., uh, a corrupt asshole who may have, from what I've read, probably did frame Bud Dwyer into the corruption case that would follow. Um, Torquato, uh, the son of an alleged mafia member with strong ties to the Pennsylvania Democratic Party, uh, Torquato uh, had, had moved to California and started the business after getting into legal trouble previously in Pennsylvania for extortion in the early 70s. Co uh, regarding that, court documents state the evidence adduced uh, at the at trial indicate that from 1971 to 1976, Torquato, along with John George and Harold Stevens, extorted funds from persons who leased heavy equipment to the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation in Cambria County, Pennsylvania. Torquato was the county chairman of the Democratic Party in Cambria County from 71 till 78. He also held a position during the years relevant to the indictment of supervisor of county audits in the Department of Auditor General for the Commonwealth 
of Pennsylvania. Uh, so according to testimony trial, Torquato, be, because of his position as county chairman, held de facto power to determine who would obtain work or contracts with the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation in that county, um, in Cambria County. Several several uh, lessers of heavy equipment testified that they had meetings with Torquato in which they sought his approval to enter into leases with the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. And then during these meetings, he would indicate that the quid pro quo, excuse me, for obtaining the lease with the state would be uh, a kickback. A kickback, quote unquote, to the party. It was the understanding of the lessers, as reflected in their testimony, that the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation would lease their equipment only if they made such kickbacks. In 1971, required payment was five percent of the uh, contract amount, uh, or of the gross income they would receive from the Department of Transportation, and that amount was increased to ten percent in 1972. Yeah, so he's fucking extorting these people. Uh, Although the kickback payments made by the lessers often characterized at, at trial as political donations or contributions, evidence indicated that these payments benefited uh, Torquato personally, and a jury found him guilty of conspiring to violate the Hobbs Act and of various uh, substantive uh, violations of that act. One of the lawyers involved in the prosecution of Torquato was Dick Thornburg. Dickie T, Dick Grundle, old Governor Grundle. The Hobbs Act, by the way, enacted in 1946, named after Sam Hobbs, Democratic congressman from Alabama, was enacted as a statute to combat racketeering and labor management disputes. Uh, the statute is frequently used in connection with cases involving public corruption, commercial disputes, and corruption directed at members of unions. Uh, after paying some fines, having his political career stomped out in Pennsylvania, Torquato moves to California, hires a lawyer named William Bill Smith. Or Bill Smith. Bill, Bill is what he went by. William Smith uh, goes by Bill Smith to represent his new CTA firm in, back in Pennsylvania. So he's going to try and you know sneak back around and steal more money from the Pennsylvania taxpayers. Uh, Smith... Is a, is a personal friend of Dwyer. In the documentary, An Honest Man, about Dwyer, uh, uh, this documentary alleges that Turquato hired Smith to get to Dwyer. He's trying to make inroads to the Republican Party in the state of Pennsylvania. And in all likelihood, Torquato did offer Bud Dwyer a bribe. Uh, the film alleges that Torquato would offer a bribe to every single official he met in his first meeting. And he did this for two reasons. One was just kind of test the waters. And then two, you know, he wanted to have some collateral to hold over their head later. Well, Torquato later claimed that uh, he hired attorney William Bill Smith to convince Dwyer and the Republican chairman of the state party committee, Bob Asher, to let CTA have the deal, offering them each $300,000. And then Smith claimed that when he presented this contribution to Dwyer, that Bud accepted, uh, accepted the bribe, right? And this is the crux of the whole case against Dwyer. At his is, is this uh, Smith's testimony. At his own trial, Smith pleaded guilty to giving Dwyer and Asher $300,000 each in bribes, and he received three and a half years in federal prison for bid rigging. He admitted in court that Torquato Jr. Uh, – I've been referring to him as Torquato, the same guy. Uh, he has a dad also of the same name. Uh, came from a Democratic family, used him to reach out to the Republicans and convince them to secure this bid for him. Uh, Torquato – but then also spent some time in prison after this. And it was uh, Smith's testimony that, that led directly to our Bud Dwyer's criminal convictions. Uh, in the documentary, though, An Honest Man, Smith, uh, and this documentary was just, uh, I think, back in 2010, if I remember. I didn't write it down in my notes, but it was within the last decade. Uh, admits on camera that he lied about Bud accepting the bribe. He says it haunts him to this day. He feels guilt over it. I mean, this guy already went to prison for this case. And, uh, and once out of it, he's like, you know, feels terrible because of what happened to Bud Dwyer, and especially terrible because he says that he didn't actually take the bribe. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's pretty huge. He's, and he said that he lied because Torquato told him uh, that um, 
he had to lie, that Smith had to lie to back up Torquato's lies because Torquato's lies were what were able to get him a plea bargain from the DA. Basically, like the DA put pressure on him and he told the DA he could give them Bud Dwyer. And he could, and if he gave them Bud Dwyer and they want to get Bud Dwyer, because as you'll find out, the prosecutor is tied directly to Governor Dickie T. Governor Dickie T wants to fucking squash Dwyer for all the shit, you know, that, that uh, uh, you know, in the public eye, all the mess he caused him, you know, over the last few years. So they really want Bud Dwyer, the prosecutor's, uh, you know, the DA's office does. And they're like, oh, wow, you can give us Bud Dwyer. OK, well, then we'll give you a plea deal. And then so but to do that, he has to lie and he has to have Smith lie. Admit he lied for all this to work. And Smith said that Torquato told him if he doesn't cooperate, when you come home, you'll find Moose, and that was the nickname for Smith's son, floating face down in the swimming pool. So Smith would later claim that these guys, these mobsters basically, threatened him that if he didn't lie in court to convict Bud Dwyer, they were going to kill his kid. Okay, so that's big. So months after this contract is awarded, subsequently uh, subsequently revoked, Pennsylvania Governor Dick Thornburg receives this anonymous memo, you know, about the bribery, uh, you know, gets the, the fucking boner about, you know, Bud Dwyer being, being listed. And then he enlists his lawyer protege, Jimmy West, who is the uh, acting U.S. attorney, to investigate and take the case to a grand jury. You know, he's pursuing Bud with a, you know, with a vengeance now. Included in the original list of those suspected of taking bribes from CTA were Dwyer, Bob Asher, the Republican chairman, Attorney General Leroy Zimmerman, and Senator John Shoemaker. By the time these indictments were handed out, however, Zimmerman and Shoemaker were mysteriously no longer on the list. So, you know, two of the four people supposedly getting these bribes, they don't even make the final indictment list. And, and while attorney Jimmy West would admit that Bud Dwyer never actually received funds from Torquato, they never actually got the money. He said that didn't even matter when it came to prosecuting him because supposedly agreeing to accept a bribe was just as bad to, to accepting it as accepting it. And he would argue that intent is the key. Now, and this is insane to me. So their whole case against this guy is not even that he took money, but that he supposedly said based on, uh, you know, the testimony of two people that he would take the money and then later definitely change his mind and cancel the contract. So they're going to, you know, they're going to take his whole career away and put him in prison for maybe thinking about taking a bribe. Now, I'm not saying when it comes to corruption that I, that I disagree with Jimmy West, uh, the prosecuting attorney here, as far as like intent. You know, like you shouldn't be, you should still get in, in trouble for saying like, yes, I'm going to take uh, bribe money if that's what you actually do, even if you don't actually get the money. But I also think how convenient is this for his case? Because now he doesn't have to actually provide any evidence uh, of, you know, any financial evidence, like bank account type evidence of but actually receiving any money. They don't have to worry about a money trail at all. They're admitting that there isn't one. Usually the money trail pretty important when it comes to a bribery case. Now all he needs is testimony from Torquato, a known crook, a fucking known convicted fraud, and that man's lawyer, a man who would later admit that he lied about Bud, and he just needs their testimony to convict Bud Dwyer. Sadly, it really, really does look like Bud was innocent in this case. And, and Bill Smith, Torquato's attorney, says in the documentary that Jimmy West, clearly being pressured by Dickie T to pursue this case against Dwyer relentlessly, came to him and stated that they were going to indict Smith's wife, Judy, as well unless he could convince Dwyer to resign from office. Like, they're really going after Dwyer. You know, clearly, Thornburg's main goal is, is to crush Dwyer in all of this. He wants him out of Harrisburg. That's going to fucking teach him for not signing off on whatever the hell he wanted Dwyer to sign off on. Now, now this is totally conjecture on my part as far as assessing the governor's motivations in, in this situation. But God, just from what you gather when you look into this story, it, it sure as hell looks like this is the case. Well, Bill Smith approaches Dwyer on behalf of the governor's attorney to resign and Dwyer refuses. 
federal prosecutors uh, approached Bud, approached Bud Dwyer. They're willing to cut him a deal at this point. Plead guilty to one charge of bribe receiving, resign from office, fully cooperate with the rest of the investigation, and you won't get in much trouble. The one charge would carry at most a five-year prison sentence. In all likelihood, you're not going to spend a day there. But Dwyer turns down the deal. He, is, he, he states he's innocent. He's never backed down from that. And he wants his innocence to be proven in, in a trial. Okay, so 1985 now. The trial is scheduled and moved out of the capital city, relocated to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, due to the publicity it's been receiving in Harrisburg. This does not help Bud. Uh, Williamsport is a rural town with lower socioeconomic level uh, kind of population, lower overall education levels for the adults living there. And this is a complex trial re- requiring complex thinking to properly assess. Uh, basically, what many in the documentary allege is that the jury ended up being composed of people we would refer to as idiots of the Internet and that they can't understand the trial well enough to understand that Bud is, is actually innocent or that the evidence against him is not strong. Speaking of these idiots, by the way, uh, let's take a break from the today's timeline before we hop back into it and uh, and check in with those wackadoodles. Idiots of the Internet. All right. For today's video, I went to uh, to that one minute, 20-second YouTube video I referenced earlier, the one where you where you can witness Bud's death. I don't recommend it. I do not recommend it. Uh, the top comment out of nearly 50,000 comments under the video of nearly 12 million views published in 2013 by Fabio Costa is Matthew Santoro, not an idiot, uh, someone who is asking in all caps, why are you watching this? Fair question, Matt, fair question. Uh, morbid curiosity, I guess, to start with. And since I'm doing this suck, I had a hard time justifying not watching it. If I'm going to do an entire time suck leading to this one moment, I felt like I needed to see the moment. Thank you for asking. Another clever, clever fella on YouTube, Dakota Collie, has the next top comment posting, Logan Paul was the cameraman. <laughs> well played. Well played, Dakota. For those of you who didn't listen to or don't remember the Japanese suicide for a suck, this is a reference to very popular YouTuber Logan Paul receiving a lot of public backlash for posting a video of him making light of seeing some poor suicide victim hanging from a tree in the suicide forest. He filmed the actual body, laughter in the video, and now Dakota is accusing him of filming Bud Dwyer's suicide as well. Uh, pretty dark, and in my opinion, uh, pretty pretty clever. Pretty clever reference. The next comment proves how fucked up my sense of humor is, because it made me laugh out loud. Uh, while I was at Calypso's Coffee Shop in uh, downtown Coeur d'Alene, while I was doing some of the research, uh... <laughs> Lucy the Lamp posts in quotation marks, I'm a doctor. Now, this is referring to someone yelling just that in the background at the end of the video. Someone who yells, you know, like, I'm a doctor. And then right after that, uh, italicized, Lucy writes, boy, it's too late. <laughs> I know that's, that's really fucked up, but it was very funny to me. Yes, way too late. Holy shit, too late at that point. Be gone, Lucifina. Stop making me laugh at tragedy. You're going to get me in trouble. Uh, then a few comments uh, later, we get a virtue signaler. All right, finally. We haven't had one of those in a while. Uh, user QRT123 posts, I can't believe that so many guys are making jokes about this. And then user Let's Con, here's the virtue signaler. User Let's Con replies with, yes, exclamation point. Something like suicide is not funny, period. It is sad, exclamation point. Oh, Thank you, Let's Con. You're right. You're right. Now that I think about it, suicide is sad. Thank you for pointing that out. You're a great person. You just proved it. No one doubts that now. Your, your astute, empathetic observation made that clear to everyone. Man, if you wouldn't have jumped into this thread 
we would all just be left thinking that suicide is inherently hilarious. Uh, Let's Con Post comes across to me like a, like wooden dialogue from some kind of shitty 80s after school special. It's too bad that kids don't watch those now. I watched so many of those when I was a kid. These these really shitty after school specials where there was just the whole movie was based on some, you know, painfully obvious moral message that they felt kids needed to hear. Like for this one, it would I feel like it would be like two, two 12-year-olds, you know, playing basketball on, on some playground. You know what's funny? A cat chasing a laser pointer? No. Suicide is funny. Ha 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 Are you sure? Yep, that's what the internet says. Oh, okay. I guess I should laugh then. Ha 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 And then like, and then Lescon comes along like hands on the hips, like fist planted on the hips. Guys, guys, please stop laughing. Suicide is not funny. It is in fact sad. And then, and then the two 12-year-olds, like, all of a sudden get frowns on their face. Like, they get sheepish. They're stop, they stop laughing. Sorry, Lescon. We didn't know. No one had told us that. And then Lescon kind of starts to smile. Well, now you do. And knowing is half the battle. And then both 12-year-olds, wait a minute. You stole that line from G.I. Joe. And then Lescon just goes, I know. But at least I didn't joke about suicide. And then all of them, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, we fucking get it. Let's con. We do know. We just choose to not let darkness and sadness uh, drag us down into a never-ending tear parade. Uh, right below. Uh, right. I hope some of you at least listening have seen those specials to understand why I made the act that I did. Uh, right below Let's Con, one of the many, many religious zealots of YouTube revealed themselves. Uh, user SplatterEU posts, people who make jokes about things like this, and then all caps, will go to hell. Thanks for letting us know exactly what God's up to, Splatter You. Appreciate it. I'm sure if God's up there, I'm sure God just fucking loves you, spreading his word. Uh, thanks for speaking for God. Uh, have you made a suicide joke? Congratulations, heathen. You are for sure going to hell. Hope you like being burned alive forever. Amen. <sighs> User William Burke is for sure going to hell. Pack plenty of shorts and tank tops in your afterlife suitcase, Billy Burke. Because you're going to roast. Uh, Billy Burke posted, <laughs> his wife told him before the conference, give him a piece of your mind, bud, but don't go shooting your mouth off. Now, again, I'm sorry, they made me laugh. Uh, and you guys know, I've donated money to the National Suicide Prevention Center. We, we have as our organization here. I know suicide is tragic. The world is tragic. Uh, as far as dark humor goes, you know, not bad, Billy Burke. Fucked up, but it did get me to laugh at the darkness. As my editor, Jesse Dobner, pointed out, that was a total dad joke. But I did, but I did like it. Uh, user Topher Wayne also made me laugh, posting, get that man a Band-Aid. <laughs> now, the absurdity there just cracks me up, like, because he was fucking way past the Band-Aid. It's just, that's like a cartoon thing. I just picture, like, somebody running over with a Band-Aid, patching up his head, and then he's all of a sudden, he, like, snaps out of it. Like, oh, shit, man, glad you were here. Incredibly, I just like the absurdity. Incredibly, user <laughs> user Ali Austin does not understand Topher's absurd humor and actually asks Topher Wayne, how will that help? Oh, Allie, you just don't get it. User Max Power goes real dark, posting, <laughs> not my proudest fap. Oh, Jesus Christ. Now, if, <laughs> now, if you didn't get that joke, don't think about it. Oh, God. Anybody who's fapping it to that video, you got some real, some real issues. My God, dark. User. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, user um, SSS Randy goes full Captain Obvious, posting, "Being there in person would be a traumatic experience." Uh, yeah, yeah. You fucking think? Why would you ever need to post that? It's like like watching a video of like a like concentration camp and just posting like this doesn't look fun. Yeah, fucking no. It's not you dumb shit. We all know that. Uh, user. Uh, Roxu Ranger King posts the best thing I've seen on YouTube in quite a while. Uh, not an idiot statement. He, uh, uh, he writes, I thought this was very, so interesting. He writes this video of a guy's face gushing blood has been on YouTube for five years. But if there was a single female nipple visible, it would have been removed by now. Makes sense. God, no shit. Ranger King. How ludicrous is that about our culture? Video of a married father of two, so worried about his future, so desperate that he shoots himself in the head, that he kills himself in front of a bunch of people, blood gushing out of his face. That's okay for YouTube. Put a small warning on it that anybody can click. That's fine. But a woman's exposed breast? Get those filthy titties out of here. Get your disgusting, sinful, filth titties out of here. Or I guess more accurately, uh, filth nipples. Get your fipples out of here. Get those fucking fipples out. Get those little circles of Satan out of here. Get those little circles that literally allow each new generation of human to live long enough to make it to solid food for almost the entirety of human history. Get those life-giving milk dispensers away from our kids. They might accidentally get a boner. How dare they? How dare they experience natural sexual inclinations? Gross. Shame. Be gone, Lucifina. Uh-uh. Get away from those titties. Get those kids some death. Get them some death. Get them some death and sadness. Let them see a man die before their eyes. What the fuck is wrong with us? What the fuck is wrong with our culture's weird, shameful, uh, you know, look at sexuality? It's so fucking stupid. Ah, uh, if you're that worried, uh, it's just, it's, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Ah, we are, we are not good at making logical decisions. Uh, as a species. Not not good. Uh, okay. Francisco uh, Cisneros leads us out of this segment today, posting, okay, all right, enough internet for today. Good night. Agreed, Francisco. Agreed. Idiots of the internet. Okay, okay, all right. We're back into this uh, scandal. Back into this crooked trial. All right, for Bud Dwyer, Republican chairman of the state party committee, Bob Asher, also on trial with Bud due to uh, uh, being accused of taking a big bribe, is found guilty, and he is given a five-year sentence for his involvement. Asher uh, actually uh, would just be sentenced to one day, uh, one day in jail. That's, that's how much time he would spend there, a day in jail and be given a fine. So I, so I guess uh, they were going after like a maximum of five years. Is I, I read that wrong. Maximum of five years. He actually gets sentenced to one day in jail for doing supposedly the exact same thing, like exactly that Bud Dwyer did. Uh, and then his political career continues without too many problems. Yeah, again, accused of the exact same thing. Torquato also found guilty in exchange for his plea and cooperation in the investigation and prosecution of the contract case, i.e. throwing Bud Dwyer under the fucking bus. Uh, Jimmy West asked the judge to drop 15 other charges against him. Uh, the request is granted. And then Torquato... Uh, he faced a maximum of five years in prison. He would serve less than two. Maximum of five. And a fine of uh, of $10,000. Uh, 
by District Judge Malcolm uh, Muir, uh, who, who would later say, like, just publicly state that he that he wanted to go after the max penalty for Dwyer, the same judge. Bill Dwyer gets three and a half years in prison, gets disbarred for brokering the deal. Think about that, man. The guy who allegedly offers the bribe, the guy who brokers this alleged bribe, and the other guy who allegedly accepts the bribe. None of those guys uh, given more than a few years in prison, you know. Fucking crazy. And then there's R. Bud Dwyer, the man who just wouldn't let Governor Dickie T, Governor Grundle, get reimbursed for fleecing the taxpayer. What does he get? Well, on December 18th, 1986, Dwyer is convicted on his charges. Uh, he continues to claim he's innocent, uh, as do his family and close friends. Reaching the end of his rope, he, he writes then-President Ronald Reagan pleading for a presidential pardon to get him out of this mess. Bud knew he would be punished disproportionately. He knew he had made enemies, and this was their time for payback, and he was right. While Dwyer was killing himself, prosecuting attorney Jim West's secretary was writing a letter to Judge Moore asking for the maximum penalty. 55 years in prison is what they wanted to give this guy. 55 years. No one else gets uh, was going to serve more than two and a fine of $300,000. That's what they want for Bud. How, how is that fair when you think about the other sentences handed out in the same fucking trial? Uh, also, uh, they were going to go out of, out of their way to take his pension away. All of it. Going back to his teaching days before he got all right, leaving his family with nothing. All of that was going to happen based on the words of a known criminal and that dude's shady lawyer who admitted to lying about Bud taking the bribe later. And a guy who's in prison today, as, as, I'll, as I'll let you know later, a guy who's found guilty of numerous other super shady shit. Can you imagine how you'd feel if you're Bud? Uh, imagine, man, to, to know you'd essentially just been, not essentially, that you had been completely framed. To know that the political machinery you had devoted nearly your entire adult life to. To, to making, you know, uh, the, the country better, the state better, is now going to crush you into fucking oblivion. It's going to take away your freedom. It's going to take away your wife's retirement. It's going to take away your kid's inheritance, you know, your kid's college funds. It's going to associate your name forever in that state with scandal, a state you serve for your entire adult life. You, you work so hard to keep your name clean, and now you have one last chance to proclaim your innocence to the world, one last chance to make a public statement as a public official. What do you do? Uh, new friend of the show, well, this new friend would like to share his thoughts on the matter with you. Got a little unexpected visit today. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, welcome in. Uh, who, who just flew in here from Houston? Let me crown chip that the eagle don't always perch on the top of no tree. Sometimes I'm laying near the bottom. You feel it? Not only good as man who ride it, you dig? Even perfect loud flower when a man got to lay down real world. This ain't no library tower. This ain't no Disneyland. Even Mickey Mouse gets snakes off from time to time. Even Goofy gets rocks off. Buzz on Emma's chest. You got to come when you can there, playboy. You got to come when you can. No, no guarantee for next day. No day after that. Bok, Lick that biscuit till the honey don't lose that sticky. You feel? Bok, Oh, shit. That was Chicken Joe speak for, uh, unfortunately, even in a democratic society with a pretty, pretty solid and fair set of laws, human beings have to administer those laws. And since we meet sacks are inherently imperfect and emotional, there will always be a certain amount of injustice in the world. So enjoy life to the fullest whenever you can, because someday uh, you yourself might also get unjustly railroaded by a corrupt system. Uh, I'm not sure how that adds to today's discussion, but I, I do appreciate uh, Chicken Joe stopping by and sharing his, his perspective. <laughs> January 21st, 1987. Two days before his scheduled sentencing, uh, Dwyer calls his team in and sets a, a press conference for the following day. Despite his conviction, he was still the state treasurer, and many people thought he was setting up this press conference so he could publicly resign the day before his sentencing. Uh, he took his family out for dinner, their favorite restaurant, Picante's. He declined dessert that night, told the waitress he was watching his figure. 
Everything seemed normal. His family uh, knew he was incredibly stressed out about the upcoming sentencing. They all were, but but no one thought he seemed suicidal. They thought he was taking actually uh, all of it pretty well. Uh, the following morning, there's a snowstorm in Harrisburg, and school is canceled. Bud's wife and daughter stay home. Uh, his son has to go to his university for for one test. Dwyer goes ahead to work so that he can get, get to his press conference, kisses his wife and daughter goodbye. In the documentary, his daughter states that she had written him a card with a poem telling him how proud she was of him, how much she loved him. And she just didn't give him the card, as she planned, because uh, it wasn't signed yet. And she was planning on giving it uh, to him when he came home that night. That's terribly sad. Big uh, tearjerker portion of the documentary there. Uh, told his son to come right home after his son's test. And then he set out for the office. Man, just with what he knew he was going to do. He'd ha- he had the suicide notes all written out. Oh, my God. Just the, the strength to not just let anybody in on it, to not want to make anybody sad. Whew. Uh, at the office, business as usual for Bud, tells his friend and colleague Vince not to attend the press conference. No good will come from it. All of the state's major newspapers and news channels are going to be there, appearing in hopes of getting that first inside look into his resignation. Dwyer begins the press conference by declaring his innocence and, and quoting you know, a bunch of stuff about the criminal justice system from a pre-written and prepared text he'd written. He spoke out against the death penalty, expressed great concern and regret for voting in favor of it as a member of the Republican P- Pennsylvania Assembly. For a full half an hour, he protested that he was innocent, and he criticized some people who had been connected. I understand, man, actually, that death penalty thing in his situation where it's like if he's now been convicted wrongly, he's got to be thinking like, oh, shit. I, you know, I sent other people who may have been convicted wrongly to their deaths. Uh, for a full half an hour, he protested he was innocent. He criticized some people who had uh, been connected with his conviction, including some news organizations and reporters who were present. Moments before killing himself, Treasurer Dwyer implicated Governor Thornburg. And the state's first elected attorney general, Leroy Zimmerman, in a long-running bribery conspiracy and in a cover-up of this bribery conspiracy. Now, that would be looked into after his death. Nothing would be found uh, from the investigation. However, Governor Thornburg would get caught in uh, some, you know, some corruption shortly after this himself. So, I don't know. Just, again, there's no legal proof. This is conjecture on my part. It feels to me like the dude was corrupt. Uh, Republican Treasurer uh, Dwyer also accused these uh, – uh, fellow uh, you know, politicians of politically ma- manipulating his criminal case. As he reached the final page of his speech, he spoke these words. He said, I thank the good Lord for giving me 47 years of exciting challenges, stimulating experiences, many happy occasions, and most of all, the finest wife and children any man could ever desire. How he didn't break down in tears right there, I don't even understand. Now my life has changed for no apparent reason. People who call and write are exasperated and feel helpless. They know I'm innocent and want to help. But in this nation, the world's greatest democracy, remember that whole thing about him teaching a, a you know democracy class all those years ago? There is nothing that they can do to prevent me from being punished for a crime they know I did not commit. Some who have called have said that I am a modern-day Job. For those of you who don't know, that's a you know biblical reference to a guy, uh, a character who was, who was punished greatly in his life here on earth, uh, un, you know, uh, seemingly unfairly. Judge Moore is noted for his medieval sentences. I face a maximum sentence of 55 years in prison and a $300,000 fine for being innocent. Judge Muir has already told the press that he, quote, felt invigorated when we were found guilty and that he plans to imprison me for a long time as a deterrent to other public officials. But it wouldn't be a deterrent because every public official who knows me knows that I am innocent. It wouldn't be a legitimate punishment because I've done nothing wrong. Since I'm a victim of political persecution, my prison would simply be an American gulag. Wow, yeah. He's got to be thinking about those old days in Poland right there, too. I ask those that believe in me to continue to extend friendship and prayer to my family to work untiringly for the creation of a true justice system here in the United States and to press on with the efforts to vindicate me 
so that my family and their future families are not tainted by this injustice that has been perpetrated on me. We were confident that right and truth would prevail and I would be acquitted and we would devote the rest of our lives working to create a justice system here in the United States. The guilty verdict has strengthened that resolve. But as we've discussed our plans to expose the warts of our legal system, people have said, why bother? No one cares. You'll look foolish. 60 Minutes 2020, the ACLU, Jack Anderson and others have been publicizing cases like yours for years, and it doesn't bother anyone. At that point, he quit reading. Perhaps Wire just couldn't bring himself to read the final paragraph he'd written. He refused to continue reading. What he did write, uh, you know, he held that day uh, and wasn't able to finish, reads as follows. says, I've repeatedly said that I'm not going to resign as state treasurer. After many hours of thought and meditation, I've made a decision that should not be an example to anyone because it is unique to my situation. I find this very interesting, right? He says, I've made a decision that should not be, should not be an example to anyone because it is unique to my situation. Last May, I told you that after the trial, I would give you the story of the decade. To those of you who are shallow, the events of this morning will be that story. But to those of you with depth and concern, the real story will be what I hope and pray results from this morning. In the coming months and years, the development of a true justice system here in the United States, I am going to die in office in an effort to see if the shameful facts spread out in all their shame will not burn through our civic shamelessness and set fire to American pride. Please tell my story on every radio and television station and in every newspaper and magazine in the United States. Please leave immediately if you have a weak stomach or mind since I don't want to cause physical or mental distress. Joanne, Rob, Dee, I love you. Thank you for making my life so happy. Goodbye to you all on the count of three. Please make sure that the sacrifice of my life is not in vain. Whoa, man. Whew. Instead of reading his final uh, prepared words, he called three members of his staff to appear on the stage, giving each the envelope. The first envelope contained a suicide note addressed to his wife. The second contained an organ donor card. Man, he's thinking, thinking of people still. His eyes, by the way, would be donated uh, after his death. The third envelope contained a letter addressed to new Pennsylvania Governor Bob Casey, who had taken office two days prior to this press conference. Dwyer then produced his own envelope, that Manila, Manila one, with the Smith & Wesson 357 uh, revolver inside. He spoke to the gathered crowd, brought the gun to everyone's attention, right? Please, please leave the room if this will affect you. Despite the pleas shouted at him, uh, he continues. He refuses to put the gun down, advises everyone to stay back, says this will hurt someone. And then as the few brave men around him continue to attempt to make him reconsider, Dwyer turns the gunshot, or excuse me, the gun towards himself. He opens his mouth, he inserts the gun, he pulls the trigger, the bullet goes through his head, killing him instantly, and then he collapses to the floor. And the finality of Bud's decision in that moment takes us out of today's Time Suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. Man, sad story today. Sad that there's a good chance that the corruption of others is what got Bud Dwyer convicted of corruption himself. Uh, tragic, he felt like he couldn't fight his way out of the situation he was in. Man, early in the episode... At the beginning, I said that the Bud Dwyer's actions at that press conference could be viewed as brave and courageous. Here's some ad- additional information that, that leans, uh, leads to why I say that, right? This is why I say that. Dwyer knew that they wanted to make an example of him. He was right. He knew that the governor, the court, others wanted to take his pension also away from him, and he was right about that. They did. And he also knew that if he still died, or excuse me, if he died while he was still in office, that they couldn't take away all, all of his money. 
right? Since, since Dwyer died in office, his widow Joanne was able to collect full survivor benefits, uh, benefits that would, you know, only kick into effect if he died while being the treasurer, the total over $1.2 or $1.28 million. So $1,280,000, a lot more than the $300,000 he supposedly gained from bribes, but, you know, supposedly thought about accepting from bribes. Uh, many believe that that part of why Bud did what he did was was exactly this was uh you know to to provide some money for his family because the family's finances had been ruined by legal defense costs they had nothing they're in debt and they're going to take away all of his pension she is not she was the homemaker not the breadwinner so his family like he knows his family is fucked he knows that his kids are not going to be able to afford college his wife will, will never be able to retire how is she even going to pay her way through life his family will be in ruins. He does see this as, as the best option. And again, I am not an advocate of suicide, but this is, like he said earlier in his speech, a very unique situation. And I don't know that what he did wasn't brave and heroic, you know, considering that. Uh, okay. So, uh, yeah, just hard, hard for me not to see some heroism in his actions that day. Uh, so now, now that we know how things worked out for our Bud Dwyer, how did things work out for everyone else in the story? Well, his widow, Joanne, passed away in Tempe, Arizona, July 12, 2009, at the age of 70. Uh, she would move to Arizona shortly after Bud's death in 1988. Cannot blame her. Uh, she battled cancer in her mouth and throat the last few years of her life and also battled alcoholism uh, after his death. Her son, Rob, said she was never the same, never recovered after his death. Uh, she did open a, a bookstore in Tempe, Arizona, called Acceptance Books, books that focused on, like, recovery, addiction recovery. So she she did some good in the world herself before she passed. Uh, Dee Dee tried to uh, resume going to college in Pennsylvania not long after her father's death, but but it couldn't remain focused. I, God, I get that as much as I can. And then, you know, she also left Pennsylvania, moved to Arizona to be with her mother. She still lives there. She's married, has a 19-year-old son. Rob... Uh, followed his mother to Arizona. He's married, has a 26 and a two-year-old, uh, and works as a real estate agent in Phoenix. Neither Rob nor Dee Dee or their mother, Joanne, held any lasting anger towards Bud over what he did. They talked about how he left them uh, three beautiful letters asking them to do their best in the world, to make the world a better place, to not let his death bring them down as well. Uh, his daughter got all choked up. It was so sad. She said that her dad asked her, you know, said at least like unlike your brother, you'll be able to take somebody else's name and not carry the shame of the Dwyer name. And it just made her so sad that like her, her dad died thinking that his name was going to bring the family shame. Uh, Rob would later claim that he uh, asked his father in one of their last conversations, look, did you do anything wrong? Did you take the money? Because it doesn't matter to me. I just want to know. And he said, his father said, I absolutely did nothing wrong. Uh, Rob has never regained his faith in the justice system. Speaking in a 2017 interview, he said that he's a registered Republican, identifying as fiscally conservative and socially moderate, but is not a fan of the court system. And he just says, I really question whenever you see a news report and whenever you see that someone has been indicted. Prosecutors try to dumb down juries to try to make it easier to win their argument. It is a flawed system. Uh, my dad used to say, we don't have a justice system. We just have a legal system. It is just a system where legal things are just processed uh, regardless of intent or outcome, and people do it to further their careers. You know, I also do worry. I got to say, when I really think about the, the jury system, I, I've done that joke about wanting to get, you know, avoiding getting stuck on a jury. And I think I've talked about it on the show here before, but I did get stuck. I know I have actually, uh, uh, just for one day on a jury here in Coeur <laughs> and, and I don't know how else to say this, but the other members of that jury were just fucking morons. Like it terrified me. Like they really were like, uh, what? The? And, and, and like they, they had good jobs. They're out there, but I'm talking about like critical thinking. It was a case where the person was blatantly guilty, blatantly guilty 
of drunk driving, like literally driving the wrong way on the freeway, not easy to do for an extended period of time, swerving way off of the freeway, going down the ditch, rolling down the hill, crawling out of the car, beer scattered everywhere. Police make it there hours later, and he still is over the legal limit. Like, he was fucking preposterously hammered drunk. And there were some people on the jury like, no. And, and, I, and I just just through talking to them, this one person in particular had a bad experience a few times with police. And he would just start to shake when I'm like, it doesn't fucking matter what your experience was. Like, I bullied these people openly. I'll admit that. And to go with my logic because it infuriated me that they were being so fucking stupid. And I'm like, dude, who gives a shit how, what your experience was like? Think about the facts of the fucking case. That's all that matters. And this guy would literally like shake and as a grown man look like he was about to fucking cry. I wanted to fucking punch him out of his goddamn chair and uh, just rip his fucking beard off. because He didn't deserve it to have one. But like <laughs> I do, I do understand what he's saying there. What's like, God damn, man, some people, they just, it's, and, 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 and just, I don't know how to not look like Dick saying this too, but a lot of the people that have time to be on a long jury, it's like how fucking little is going on in your life that you can hang out for four months. Like you're, you're the, you're not the kind of person I want, I want to trust with making an important decision. Probably not in the upper fucking 5% of the intelligence scale. So, you know, I, th- this, this fucking, you know, I will say this suck. I've always been pro-death penalty. Ah, and I am pro-death, which is a weird thing to say. I am very much pro-death. I am pro-killing people who need to be off of the fucking planet, who are predators. However, only if we have a solid legal system that can definitively find them guilty. Ah, this one, this one, you know, this one caused my faith in the justice system to, to shake for sure. Um, but yeah, my, and then Rob says, my dad used to say that we don't have a justice system. We have a legal system. It is just a system where legal things are processed through regardless of intent or outcome and people do it to further their careers. It's an interesting perspective. Uh, while Rob believed in his father's innocence from the start, he doesn't agree with him taking his own life though. And, and by the way, time suckers, the national suicide prevention line is, as we've said before, 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. That'll, uh, That'll be in the episode description. I hope you don't think I'm making light of suicide. I just, uh, or that I'm in agreement that it's okay to kill yourself. I do find Bud Dwyer's situation to be very unique. Uh, uh, another thing, uh, William Bill Smith, remember him? He's the attorney who years later admitted to lying under oath to convict Dwyer. Well, after getting out of prison, he served three and a half years for uh, the, you know, his connection to the Dwyer's case or the Dwyer case, uh, Bill will return to prison just over 20 years later in 2012 when he admitted to setting fire to a guest house on his property and to destroying evidence he was embezzling, uh, that he was embezzling, excuse me, from three elderly clients he was supposed to be taking care of. And then while still in prison for arson and insurance fraud, he was then sentenced to additional time in 2004, uh, excuse me, 2014 for conspiring to help his son escape from prison in Peru. Uh, the now 80-year-old will almost certainly die in prison. And his son, William Smith uh, Jr., sentenced to 35 years in prison in Peru in 2011 for murdering his wife. Uh, his son kills his wife, not the senior's wife, but his son kills his own wife, dismembers her, puts her remains in a suitcase, throws it in the ocean, and then it washes back up on the beach and he gets caught. Uh, Tarquato, that John R. Tarquato Jr., the man who offered the bribe, out of prison and back to California in less than two years, living in beautiful Newport Beach, California. Then he filed bankruptcy and avoided paying the state of Pennsylvania the fines he was supposed to pay uh, in association with the CTA company. 
His current whereabouts, uh, if he is still living, are unknown from what I could find. And I, I imagine he's probably just fucking living it up somewhere, probably swindling someone else or living off the money you know, he swindled from others. Uh, prosecuting attorney Jim West ended up leaving the DA and becoming a defense attorney. He still works in Harrisburg. Uh, his practice listed at being at 105 North Front Street, uh, if you feel like hiring him, I guess. Uh, and what about the man who is more than happy to set Dwyer's trial in motion? Former Pennsylvania Governor Dick Thornburg, Dickie T, Governor Grundle. Well, he became the Attorney General of the United States in 1988, serving under President Ronald Reagan and then George H.W. Bush. Uh, he resigned in 91 to run for the Senate, uh, for the U.S. Senate, when a seat was left vacant when a Pennsylvania Republican Senator, John Hines, was killed in a plane crash. And then, in late 1991, while returning home from a short jog through the neighborhood, the then 59-year-old was mauled to death by Bojangles! Yes! The hellhound of time suck! First bit off Governor Grundle's balls. Then pin the politician to the ground, then spit the governor's balls back into Dickie T's open, screaming mouth. And then holding the wannabe senator down with his one front paw, Bojangles screamed, this is for Bud Dwyer. And then he held the politician's mouth shut with that paw. The balls fell in his mouth so that Thornburg choked to death on his nuts. And then when Dickie Grundle had passed, Bojangles looked to the sky, stood up on his hind legs and screamed, hail Nimrod. And then he jumped into a space-time continuum wormhole and was sitting back by my side here in the suck dungeon. <sighs> I felt good, but that didn't happen. No, it really happened, uh, obviously. He, uh, he didn't win a senator's race. He got caught in a scandal himself. There was a lot of speculation that he struck a deal. The scandal didn't kick him out of the race. He, he legitimately lost the race. And then after the race was over, uh, he got caught in a scandal. There was a lot of speculation that he struck a deal with other politicians to secure his Senate nomination. Fellow Pennsylvania politician and House Majority Whip William H. Gray was the subject of an investigation into alleged campaign finance irregularities. So much Pennsylvania corruption. There was an ongoing grand jury investigation into his church's financial dealings, and it was reported that Gray would not run in this special election if, in return, Thornburg would drop the investigation into him. Uh, after a Senate loss, Thornburg's campaign committee was then also sued in federal court by future George uh, W. Bush chief of staff Carl Rove, who won the case. Rove won the case against Thornburg and collected $180,000 from the Thornburg committee. Uh, and then after serving a one-year appointment as undersecretary general to United Nations uh, for the United States in 1993, Thornburg left politics behind, returned to practicing law. Uh, he's still alive today at 86 years old, still consults as a lawyer, and I still believe he is corrupt and vindictive as shit. And now it is time for today's Top 5 Takeaways. Time suck. Top 5 Takeaways. Number one. On January 22nd, 1987, Pennsylvania State Treasurer Robert Bud Dwyer shot himself on live television. Number two. I do not advocate for suicide in any way. However... Had Bud Dwyer not died in office, and he would have been kicked out of office and taken to the prison the very you know the next day, the following day on the twenty third, his family would have been left with nothing. His literal sacrifice left him with over a million dollars, making Bud Dwyer, in my mind, a fucking hero, a tragic hero for sure. But sometimes a problem just does not have any easy solutions, and Bud found himself in the middle of a terrible "what am I supposed to do now" kind of problem. Number three. Bud Dwyer was convicted on 11 counts of conspiracy, mail fraud, perjury, interstate transportation, and the aid of racketeering. Despite what people say on the web, these charges were not cleared after his death. So uh, I could be wrong. Maybe he did take that bribe. But man, if he did, why would the man who testified that he, uh, that he did this under oath, former attorney William Bill Smith, why would he lie about it later when it benefited him absolutely zero? 
Number four, if you are contemplating suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. And number five, new info. I'm a big fan of the industrial metal band Filter. And one of my favorite Filter songs, a song that came out uh, back in 1995, I remember when it came out, was called Hey Man, Nice Shot. And it's about the suicide of Bud Dwyer. Uh, for years, I thought it was about uh, Kurt Cobain. Many people thought it was about Kurt Cobain, another suck subject. Uh, here's a sample of the lyrics. You'd fight and you were right, but they were just too strong. They'd stick it in your face and let you smell what they consider wrong. That's why I say, hey, man, nice shot. What a good shot, man. Sounds like uh, me and the, and, the, and the lead singer, the songwriter of Filter, uh, share uh, some similar views in this case. Time suck. Top five takeaways. All right. Suicide Bud Dwyer sucked. Thanks to the Patreon space losers for voting that topic in. I'll be honest. I was, uh, I was not happy about the vote initially. I was not looking forward to this suck. But then when I got into the story, I found it fascinating. Because at first I'm like, well, what? There's no story. Like, I killed himself. I'm like, okay. That happens sadly all the time. But, but the, what's the story there? But then I got into the story. I found it fascinating as you can, as you already know now. A uh, good man, man pushed into a corner, who makes the best choice he thinks that he can for his situation. Wow. Uh, and again, I don't advocate suicide, but man, what I don't, I, I've, I've been racking myself trying to think of like, well, what else could he have done? You can say like, yeah, well, he could have argued it in court. He could have, but his family has no money. And when you've just been fucking railroaded that hard, do you really think there's going to be any chance they're going to be found innocent the next time? Oh, I mean, you know. That they could have continuing to fight that case could have just you know just ruined ruined his family forever, man. Rest in peace, our Bud Dwyer. I hope wherever you are, I hope life's better now. I know I said in the past that suicide puts you into Nimrod's butthole, but I I do think Nimrod makes exceptions. Right, I do believe in Nimrod's wisdom. Hail Nimrod! Uh, big thanks to the Time Suck team, the High Priestess of the Suck Harmony Velikamp, Jesse Guardian of Grammar Dobner, Reverend Doctor Joe Paisley, Time Suck High Priest Alex Dugan. The Bit Elixir team, Danger Brain, Space Lizards, and Merch Wizards. Alexis, or Alexis, Axis Apparel. Axis Apparel. Uh, Queen of the Suck and boss of just pretty much everything, Lindsay Cummins. Big thanks to uh, OG Bojangles Research Assistant, Heather Knowledge Ninja Rylander for putting together a great outline for today's show. Point me in the direction of that compelling documentary, Honest Man, The Life of R. Bud Dwyer. And, and by the way, I did pull from a lot of other sources. If you're like, well, you just, you know, you just took their opinion. No, I looked into a lot of different things. I just felt like they presented things the best way. But I, I did fact check it, as we always do. Next week, we go cult again. Woohoo! Love sucking on some cults. I mean, we are, after all, the cult of the curious. I feel like it's been a long time since we did a cult. I mean, I know I'm doing one on the live show, the Matamoros cult, uh, for those who get to come to the live time sucks. But we haven't done one uh, in the regular time suck feed for what feels like a while. Next week, we dive deep on the Children of God cult. The Children of God, originally called Teens for Christ. Uh, and then the children of God, and then the family love, and then the family, and then now the family international. Not a good sign when you have to continually change your cult name. Uh, probably avoiding some legal situations, avoiding a lot of stigma. And they still exist. Still around. David Berg, who died in 1994, founded this cult in 1968. David, of course, believed he was God's prophet, naturally. These people always think God's talking through them. You know, they, I, I can't be Hey, I can't be wrong. I mean, sure, my mouth is moving, but God's voice is coming out. So you can't argue with me. Now suck my dick. It seems like to be the angle these people usually take. 
Uh, then off to the wackadoodle races we go. By 1972, Children of God uh, had, had 130 different communities around the world. By 1976, the then 57-year-old Berg encouraging female members to engage in what he called flirty fishing. Oh, well, boy, here we go. Yeah, he wants them to engage in what he called flirty fishing. Just go on some flirty fishing expeditions, uh, which was also, quote, showing God's love through sexual relationships with potential converts. Yes, seriously, not creepy at all. Hell of a way to entice new members. I do, I, I gotta say, strong marketing, uh, you know, program they got going there. I imagine that was fairly effective. Like if I was a young dude, if I was some young single dude trying to decide, you know, having a spiritual crisis, trying to pick between two churches, which one I'm gonna spend my Sundays on, you know, at <laughs> one church is like, well, hey man, if you come over, we got some Saturday potlucks, you know, we got some casseroles. Do you like do you like do you like cream and mushroom soup? Do you like canned corn? Do you like burger? Yeah, we got casseroles. And then some other church is like, yeah, uh, Linda and uh, Susan here are going to blow you. They're going to blow you, and then you can and you can and, and and then Teresa, she'll do anything. She'll do anything. Teresa's she's nuts. Uh, I'm going to go with the blowjob church. I mean, hail Lucifina. That's how you that's that's how you cook up some church. You want to reach the younger generation? You blow. Uh, way better than a boring sermon. But yeah, but one later researcher of the cult would present findings that between 1974 and 1987, the practice of flirty fishing led to sexual contact with over 220,000 potential church members. And then they did a bunch of other weird sex shit that we will get into next week. Things get weirder from what I've already told you. You're going to hear all about it if you tune in to next week's suck. And now it is time for Time Sucker Updates. Updates. Get your time sucker updates. Get your time sucker updates. First up, time sucker DJ wrote in to let us all know that time suck and LSD don't always mix well. I love this tale. DJ says, hey, Dan, just wanted to write in to let you know that you have put some real fear into my head. <laughs> I recently tripped acid for the second time in my life while on a camping trip with some friends. Well, for starters, I'm jealous. I've been, I've been, I've been really thinking about hallucinogens lately. It was probably... <laughs> Not good. Uh, unfortunately, we had some delicious gut-busting chili that had me running off in the dark by myself to the bathhouse. After a while, exited the bathhouse and began my trek back to camp. The acid had kicked in. So by now, of course, killers were watching me from the woods. <laughs> All I could think about was my bleached skull being some aspiring Dahmer-like killer's trophy. I began to jog, finally making it back to camp safely. I returned to the water where my friends were skinny dipping only to be faced with Slenderman. Slenderman-like forms as he exited and re-entered the water. That sounds terrible. I didn't mention it to anyone, so the fear wouldn't become even more real. It's funny now, but the fear was real. I cursed your name at the time. <laughs> I just love pictures. You've seen all these Slenderman. Fucking Dan Cummins. Fuck Dan Cummins. Um, anyway, I love the show. You make my boring workday uh, funny and educational. I would recommend some uh, merch. I go to Bonnaroo Music Festival in my home state of Tennessee. Oh, man, I want to go to Bonnaroo. We usually fly a flag to identify our camp in a sea of tents. I would love to be able to fly a time suck flag. That's a great idea. And uh, so I could find home and maybe even find some fellow suckers. Long live Bojangles. Oh, man. Well, thank you, DJ. That's a great story. Great suggestion. Uh, we, I think we might get some time suck flags in before the year is up. I, I thought I saw that on the future merch docket. Um, so I can stay more focused on episode development. Lindsay, Danger Brain, Access Apparel. Uh, they're kind of spearheading projects now. I do have veto power. It's not like I'm hands off. I do check everything out, but I just don't have time to, to oversee like kind of development. And uh, that's kind of more Lindsay's expertise anyway. 
Um, I like that, though. I will mention it to her. Uh, I like this idea. I like it. Uh, now we have a Flat Earth update from Time Sucker and Space Lizard Enrique Abieta, uh or Abeta, probably Abeta. Uh, uh Enrique writes, Hail the Temptress Lucifina. I have a topic suggestion of Geronimo uh, and the Apaches, and I also have some Flat Earth fuckery. Uh, I think you and the other suckers and space lizards will get a kick out of. Yeah, man, Apache, uh, the whole Geronimo thing. I think that's been on for a while, the list. I know I've looked into it before. Uh, yes, I'm sure someday. Um, my friend's fiance works with a guy who's a flat earther. Apparently this blithering, naive dolt. Nice. I like that sense. I like that little description. Blithering, naive dolt. Ah, beautiful. Uh, actually carries a half of a tennis ball with a string with him. ha, <laughs> ha, in case this subject could arise, at my friend's party, this Einstein, I wouldn't be surprised if he fucks his cousin, pulled out the half ball dangly from the string uh, and proceeded to pour water on it <laughs> while stating that if the earth were in fact round, oceans would just drip off like the water on the tennis ball. They just don't get gravity. Like they really don't get it at all. They don't get a large mass attracting, you know, like pulling in on itself. And the bigger the mass, the more the more powerful the pull, the, like the denser the mass kind of thing. Um, the only thing more infuriating than his ignorance was his smugness while oblivious to the fact that everyone in the room was at a loss for words because of how fucking stupid he is. It's hilarious to me, but on the same token, I have never wanted to savagely beat someone for being so willfully stupid in my life. Savagely beat. I'm also a big fan of that phrase. Anyway, I just wanted to share that story with you, oh, King Space Lizard Cummins, to you and my fellow lizards. Hail Nimrod and keep on sucking. Sincerely, the baby-eating space lizard, Enrique. Uh, thanks, Enrique. Man, I get it, man. Uh, I know what you're talking about, that smugness. I uh, I will say I met a very friendly flat earther in Denver this past uh, uh, little while. Well, I guess it would be two weekends back now when you hear this. Good reminder for me, at least, that people with terrible ideas like that can still be wonderful people. Uh, I mean, holy shit, is the flat earth belief dumb? But I guess, you know, they can still be good people. What I don't get about the flat earth is there, there's no motive. And I know I said this before, but there's no motive. There's no reason for the leadership of every country on earth to be in on this same conspiracy. Like, even if there was a true one world government, why would they fucking care what, what shape the earth is? How does that matter for them controlling us? Right? Because that's always the part of the conspiracy so they can control us. How does that affect control? The shape. It's so dumb. There's no motive for this conspiracy. Uh, next up, shout out request from Time Sucker Shelby Blackburn writes in saying, Hey, Master Sucker, I know this may be a long shot, but my boyfriend, Ian Jex, absolutely loves you. Mm, I love that. Makes me love Ian. He has turned so many people onto your podcast. Yes. And we actually saw you at Wise Guys last time. You were in Salt Lake City. Can you give him a shout out on an upcoming podcast? No, I can't. I don't have time. He would absolutely die if that happened. Like I said, a total long shot, but worth a shot to ask. Thank you for your amazing work. Well, uh, appreciate the message. I don't have time. Uh, let's get to the next message. No, of course not time. Thank you, Ian. Just did it. Appreciate you spreading the sweet suck. Hope you and, uh, and sweet Shelby have a wonderful week. Now, marriage shout out. First of all, uh, this is from, um, <laughs> this is from, oh my gosh. Uh, there's so many names on here. and I didn't write it down. Mike. I think this is from Mike. Mike or Max, one of the brothers, who says, first off, I apologize for the aggressive subject line, which I'm not going to read because it is pretty aggressive, but I, I liked it. I really needed to get your attention. I'm actually a huge fan of the show. My brother who got me into Time Suck just got engaged today. Thanks to him, me and my other brother have been listening to your suck since episode one. Yes. Him and his fiance are all about the suck. He has on multiple occasions talked about leaving her for Bojangles. Bojangles. Or Chikatilo. Oh, you mad. Well, it's off the shame, cock of shame. Only take your husband. Uh, we would be really fucking psyched if you could make a shout out to Saffron Kusnas. Oh, Jesus Christ. 
Kuznetsov. Kuznetsov. Some kind of Russian bullshit. Please butcher the last name. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not trying to butcher the last name. I just am. I cannot. I don't know what kind of fucking way too many consonant name that is. And his wife to be uh, a Leftina. Kus. Kusnetsov, Kusnetsov. I'll just say it fast so it makes it sound like I'm just saying it in the Kusnetsov, Kusnetsov. Um, tell him his brothers Mike and Max are super excited for him and we don't care what he says. We're singing karaoke, Triple M and James Ingram at his wedding. Yamo, congratulations. Uh, congratulations, Saffron. Hope you and Aleftina have a long, happy life. Hope you change your names to like Bob or Jen so I can say them easier in the future. Keep on sucking. And, uh, and guys, uh, good luck with the rest of the info uh, you mentioned in your message. Keep growing that commercial fishing business. Uh, love Alaska. Thank you. Uh, okay, another, one more shout out. Uh, or actually, no, before we get to that. Actually, this is uh, not a shout out to me. This is for Axis Apparel. Dear Suckmaster, wanted to let you know that I had a defect with my Chikatilo gym bag. The zipper pull came off. I contacted your merch vendor. Let them know. They were awesome, told me they're going to send me a new one. After dealing with some of the shittiest customer service all week from Verizon, I wanted to cry when Kate, who handles the returns, let me know they were going to take care of me. It was awe-inspiring. Please, please, please have Chicken Joe make a return. Oh, yeah. You know he did now. It made me almost choke on my lunch hearing that impression. Sorry for the long message. Hail Nimrod, Dan Brown. Well, thank you, Dan. And thank you, Kate. Kate at accessapparelco.com. That's who you email to get shit taken care of, and she will take care of everything. We, we try to, you know, if there's a big problem, we try to give you extra stuff to make up for it. Um, you know, that's who you email. If we haven't gotten back uh, to one of your emails, email her again. Uh, email me if you don't hear back in a few days. You know, email to Bojangles at timestuckpodcast.com. We're doing our best to give the best customer service we can because we want to make more people like Dan happy. Glad you're happy, Dan. And now, now uh, uh, one last uh, shout out. And if you send in a shout out and it didn't make the show, please understand we get so many. We do care about you. We hear about, we hear you, uh, but we get several hundred messages a week. Uh, way too many to put them all in or even close to all of them in. Uh, it's never personal when yours doesn't make it. But now let's get to Dustin who says, hey man, please read. I love what you're doing. Time suck dominion, reckoning, education, influencing, bok bok, playboy, master, Michael motherfucking McDonald, what, what, Papa Bear. <laughs> Check it out, man. I messed you last year, same time. Mentioned my birthday. Didn't request a birthday shout out. This year, I need one. I'm broke as shit, but I just want to shout out this year. Too many birthdays, too little money. It's hard being the only one working in a family of four. I got a 24-month-old girl named Mila, six-month-old named Dallin, uh, uh, a three-and-a-half-month-old. Wait, you have you have you wrote down a 312-month-old. <laughs> so I'm going to say what you meant was. Three and a half, a three and a half year old named Ashley. Please give me a shout out. Love this podcast. Only reason why I know what a podcast is. Hey, I'm proud of what you guys have accomplished. I've been listening since episode seven. Cool watching how y'all grow. Told my wife I want to go to Spokane to see live. Anyways, man. Yes. A shout out for Dustin. My birthday's on September 7th. On the next episode will be the best. Time sucker forever. Space it as soon as I can afford it. Dustin Phillips from nowhere, Oklahoma. Well, happy motherfucking birthday, Dustin. Yeah, man. Hope life moves in a great direction for you. Your next trip around the song. Yamo, happy birthday. Whoa, 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 happy birthday. I didn't forget to sing you happy birthday. I didn't forget to say, hey, you have a good birthday. I don't know. That was improv. So, so I give myself a C on that. Last update, Axeman update regarding surviving blunt trauma to the head. Glad Stephen Morrison, Time Sucker, still with us. He writes in, hello, Master Sucker, Dan Cummins, is your faithful space lizard, Stephen. Oh, a space lizard. Mmm, boner, full mast. I want to start off by saying I really enjoyed the Drunk as Fuck podcast, but I put it off 
uh, put off listening to it for a while, knowing that the Axeman bashes in his victims' heads. Kind of a touchy subject with me. Uh, only because on the 20th of July, while smoking a cigarette outside of work, I was approached by a guy asking for a cigarette. It was, my, it was 11.30 p.m. outside of a brewery for context. I just smoked my last one, so I told him no, and I didn't have another and turned uh, to head back inside. That's when I felt something hit me in the back of the head. I'm not sure how many times he hit me, for sure twice, but could have been more based on the amount of wounds. Multiple skull fractures, two ruptured eardrums, 20 staples in the back of my head, torn left ear, had to have a chunk sewn back on, Bell's palsy in the right side of my face, which is temporary paralysis, never lost consciousness, crawled my happy ass to the brewery side door, put my hand on the door, and a customer leaving saw me crawling and put my hand on the door and called for help. Long story short, I'm doing okay, healing fine, police caught the guy and found that the attack was random and the weapon wasn't found. All we know is that it was a blunt object. Worst part about it is that there was no reason he didn't take my wallet or phone. But thanks for keeping me company while I'm at Stuck Home for the foreseeable future. Sorry for the long message. Don't be sorry. Uh, P.S. Come back to Grand Rapids, Michigan. We missed you. Thanks for doing the Here Come the Spoons motherfucker bit when you were here last time. One of my favorite. Happy to see you live. Next time you're in Grand Rapids, stop by the Mitten Brewery for a free beer on me. Heart. Uh, well, I will be in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Stephen. Man, I'm glad you're okay. Jesus Christ. I'm going to be at Dr. Grin's November 15th through 17th. We, we just haven't put it on the calendar yet because they haven't uh, put the tickets up for sale yet. We're bugging them. We're bugging Dr. Grin's at the Bob to, to put those tickets for sale. Uh, and yeah, doing that lifetime suck. Uh, get better, man. Sorry that happened to you. There's some real pieces of shit out there. That is crazy, man, that they, they were that mad over you not giving them a smoke. Fuck them. hope they get sentenced to a, a, a nice long stint for that kind of nonsense. Um, glad you're with us, man. Glad you're with us. Hail Nimrod. See you soon. Thanks to everybody for sending in your messages. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. Thanks for listening to another suck, time suckers. Have a great week, space lizards. Uh, do your best not to get caught up in a political scandal. Less scandal. More sucking. Always more sucking. Keep on sucking. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.